Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Victor, and I have the privilege of reading the Bible for us this morning. Uh, but before we read, how about I pray for us? Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. Teach us through your word and equip us for every good work for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, The Bible reading for today is going to be from John chapter 13, uh, verses 18 to 38. And in the church Bibles, it's on page 1080. Starting from verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus, uh, Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning, everyone. It's good to be at church with you. Sorry, Micah, I'm just moving that out of the way. Good to be at church with you. My name's Prash. I'm the senior minister. Very warm welcome if you're new, visiting, back after the break. Uh, really good to have you in church with us. Uh, we are just restarting a, a little series looking at the book of John. Um, we, we did the first half last year and we've, we've turned to the second half now. Last week was only the first week, so that's okay. If you didn't, if you didn't catch it last week, you can go back and listen to it, but also you haven't missed too much. Let me pray for us and we'll dive into the scriptures this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as we find it in the Bible and we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it and to be changed by it and so to become more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> back in 2000, if you can remember back that far, we had the Olympics and before it, about a year and a half before it, they had the great ballot for um, which events you might be able to attend. My family put our name down for um, a whole bunch of sports and we, I don't know how this happened, well I don't know how it happened, uh, I guess uh, providential, we, we received two tickets to the gold medal women's hockey match. And if you remember back then, if you, if you, if you can remember back to then, Australia was good at hockey. In fact, the women's team was so good they were almost guaranteed a gold medal. So this, this was tickets to perhaps one of the events you were pretty certain Australia would have a team in and would win. And I really wanted to get one of those two tickets. There's five of us in the family. Clearly three of us were going to miss out, but I was not going to be one of them. And so I proceeded to take up hockey. <laughs> Never played it before. I bought myself a hockey stick. I signed up to the Sydney University hockey team and I trained hard. I played two seasons of hockey and my father in his generosity asked me to accompany him to the final of the women's hockey and Australia won a gold medal. Fantastic. Never played hockey since. <laughs> now it's okay. It's okay to have that kind of devotion except when it comes to Jesus. <laughs> I am... Um, I say that because the question that's, that's hanging over uh, this morning's events in the passage that we've just had read to us by Victor is, will you keep going? Will you keep going? Or will your faith be a flash in the pan once for a moment event? It's, it's a question which hangs there because of the events and the people who are at the centre of this story, particularly, of course, Judas. Will you keep going? And interestingly, the starting point, I think, that has been conveyed by John's account of these events, we find similar accounts in the other three accounts of Jesus' life, similar retellings of, these, of, of Judas, certainly. The starting point is, do not assume that you will. Do not assume that you will. So what happens is they've sat down to a meal. If you weren't here last week, let me catch you up. They're having, a la they're having their Passover meal. It's a common celebration for Israelites. They sit down, they have this meal together. It reminds them of the events in Exodus. Jesus has asked the disciples to prepare it in an upper room. They've done so. They're all sitting around. And, and in Jesus' time, what you normally did was you sat like in a U-shape, all kind of leaning in towards the table. And uh, Jesus says to the disciples in verse 18, he says, I've, 
All, I, all of you I have washed, except for one. One of you I haven't. It's a, it's a shocking moment. In fact, he says, one of you will betray me. And Peter, Peter, who probably wasn't sitting right next to Jesus, actually, maybe he was sitting maybe opposite Jesus, motions to John, who we're told is actually sitting right next to Jesus, find out who it is. And so Jesus turns to John and says these words, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. John must have been in a fairly intimate position, like as in relationally so, because he was very close to Jesus, so close that he could kind of like lean over. His head would have probably rested on Jesus' shoulder and he's whispered to, who is it? And Jesus says, so he was probably sitting on one side. But interestingly, it's most likely commentators think Simon Judas was probably sitting on the other side because Jesus could give him the bread. He was so close to him. And the story of Judas is a real warning to us because, see, he is that close to Jesus. Of of all the people who are sitting next to Jesus at his Last Supper, John, we're told, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is, who understood the love of God well. And then there is Judas on the other side. And Judas is a warning to us that you can actually be in the company of Jesus, you know, for the whole of his ministry. Some people have said, oh, if I'd been there, I would believe. But Judas was there. He heard Jesus' teaching, and here he is. It's not like he was a distant disciple, I guess is the point John's making. Here he is, he's right next to Jesus. And Jesus is doing something very pregnant with meaning when he hands him the piece of bread because that's a real sign of intimate fellowship. Jesus is offering intimate fellowship to to Judas. Judas had experienced this intimacy of, of relationship with Jesus. He'd been right with him, he'd been taught by him, and yet he is the one who walks away from Jesus at this moment. Do not assume that because we have been in this building our whole life, we have been taught about Jesus our whole life, we have called ourselves something our whole life, we will keep going. Do not assume it. That's, that's the starting point of what John's saying. But it's even more than that, because look at how John describes, and, and you'll see Jesus describing it similarly in other in other. Um, accounts, how he describes the act of Judas leaving him. He says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. See, Judas fleeing from Jesus is not just a decision not to follow Christ anymore, says John. It's far more serious. Now, you, you uh, there's lots of people in the building today. It's great. Start of the year. Great to see lots of people back at church. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, the idea of it's a, it's a bit intense. Maybe you're someone who doesn't really believe in the kind of um, the, the black and whiteness of good and evil. Things are a bit more nuanced. And so you think Satan entering him because he's chosen not to follow Jesus anymore. We don't like the idea of that kind of personal um, agent of evil. We'd much rather think of evil as a psychologized idea. But, let's be honest, when something terrible happens, 
a terrible crime takes place, then we're comfortable to say, oh, that was evil. So we do actually believe in evil. And John says this moment of betrayal is not just a decision to go a different way. It is a moment of great evil. Now, if you're just here and you're listening in, I'm really glad you're here. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a believer and you have at times described someone who has, um, has drifted away, have you ever used that? Oh, they've drifted away. They're just not that regular anymore. They've kind of, they've gone to do their own thing. They've followed their own path. Those euphemisms are not incorrect. They, they describe a reality. The person has drifted away. They have gone their own path. They are doing their own thing. But do not let the euphemism dampen or dull the spiritual reality of what's happening here. It is a terrible thing to leave Jesus behind. It's a terrible thing. You might have, when I said, are you keeping going, you think, well, this is not that relevant to me. It is relevant to all of us. Keeping going to the end is crucial. It is not enough to have ticked a box. It is not enough to have identified yourself according to a denomination. Going to the end is crucial. Otherwise, you are taking a path. And it's not like demon possession. That's not what John's describing here. There are, de- there are people possessed by demons in John's gospel. That's not what's been described here. What he's describing here is a sense that Judas has become an agent of darkness. In fact, that's how he's described as he leaves Jesus and goes into the night. He's leaving the light of the world to go into darkness, to drift away. I mean, it's true, it's someone is drifting away, they're making a choice, a, a sociological decision, but it's so much more important than that. And I mean, I, I, can I speak as a parent? It should grieve us if this happens to our children. It should grieve us. This is not just a season in their life. John says, they have walked down the path of darkness and chaos and destruction is overtaking their life. Now, here's the question. How do we avoid this happening? How do we avoid being someone who doesn't make it? Or, or if we're thinking about someone we love, how do we, ensu- how do we ensure that they keep going? It, the question is important because that's exactly what Jesus is talking to the disciples about. He says, I'm going somewhere and you can't come with me, but I want you to keep going. I want you to. And well, I think Jesus gives us, he, he gives us a model or an example and he gives us a command. And I think both of those things are crucial in understanding how you keep going, how you keep following Jesus, how you keep aligning with him, how you keep putting your hand up when he calls you. The first is uh, his use of the Bible. Look at this. So he says, look, one of you is going to abandon me. One of you is going to betray me. But then he says soon after that, in response to what would have been a very destabilizing thing to be told, he says, but, I, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. And then he goes and says, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. In a, actually, in, in the Greek, he just says that I am. 
In other words, that I am God. That's the title that God gave himself in the Old Testament. I am. He says, I'm telling you this now. I'm pointing to the prophecy about this so that when it happens, rather than being discouraged, you will be strengthened in your faith. See, I think there's, a very, there's something very counterintuitive about what Jesus is saying here. We think, how do we keep going? Well, we're trying to avoid discouraging moments. We try, and, we try and insulate our faith and our life. That is how we keep going. We try and avoid putting ourselves in difficult places. If our life is easy, then we'll be okay. But Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying, actually, your life is going to be hard. That's what he's going to continue to say that in the next chapters as he stills them, instills in them the, 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 the ability to keep representing. He says, it's going to be hard for you. To align with me, to be one of my people is going to be hard. But guess what? There is a way for you actually to grow in your faith rather than to shrink it. And he says, the answer is the Bible. He's, he points back to the scriptures. He says, if you ground yourself, look, if you refer to the Bible, if you have the Bible as your foundation, even when you meet hardship, you will grow in your faith rather than shrink in it. You will grow in your faith rather than shrink in it. This is, this is not expected. And maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that's all well and good for you. Your life is not like mine. Mine is very hard. Perhaps yours looks pretty easy, and it probably is pretty easy. But here's the thing. It's not my lesson. It's the lesson of the saints. Maybe you've heard of the lady Elizabeth Elliot. She's one of my favourite my, my favorite Christian stories. This woman got married uh, to her husband, Jim. They went to Ecuador to reach the Akua tribe, natives in Ecuador. They had a young child. Uh, they went off. Uh, they, they got there, and Jim, her husband, and his, and his kind of um, compatriots went to Ecuador. And when, when they got there, they built all these great relationships with the natives. And then Jim was murdered by the natives. A terrible, terrible experience for her. She sat waiting for him to come back from one trip. He never came back. She had a young child. Her life just got worse, got worse. In fact, she then was widowed again. Now, here's what she says. And this is not my, I can't bring this wisdom. Only, only a woman like this can bring this kind of wisdom. She says, the deepest things I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things I know about God. She's saying, actually, it is, it is actually through those moments of great suffering that God has helped me to know him better. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, when you do meet those moments of deep suffering, God will not only be able to enable you to be sustained in them, he might even grow your knowledge and love of him in them. Very profound. So actually to keep going is is to build our life on the scriptures, to, to have the word of God at the center. The word of God. What does it mean to read the Bible? Now, I actually just want us to take the example of Jesus, okay, and think about how he reads the Bible here. 
It's not enough to just say, read the Bible, therefore, but look at the way he reads it. First of all, there's a, the three things I think that he, we, we learn from it. First of all, regularly reading the Bible gives us confidence in God's purposes. See, what's interesting is Jesus is quoting a psalm in the Old Testament. Like, you wouldn't think you'd go to this psalm at this moment to find your answer, right? To, to instill confidence in the world. Like, you wouldn't think of going to a psalm. It's not where you'd go. It's an arbitrary verse in the Old Testament, not quoted anywhere else. But it is because Jesus knows the scriptures well that it comes to mind for him at this moment. And that only comes from just regularly reading the Bible. You can't just flip it open, put your finger on a spot and hope that that verse will answer what you want. But it is being immersed in the word that starts to give you the resources to meet these moments, to see the world in light of the promises of God. So it's regular reading. Secondly, God's revelation is slow. This portion that he's, he's, he's quoting is like a thousand years before this moment. You know, we want to be able to just open the Bible and feel like whatever problem I have today, the Bible will have, what I read this morning will have the answer for it. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes God takes a long time to teach us and to grow us. And so God's revelation is slow and we have to be patient in the task of reading it. If you think that just because you read the Bible this morning, and I hope you did, that's great, um, you will therefore meet whatever challenge you have this evening as a result of that, it's probably unlikely. Thirdly, his word is showing us Jesus first and foremost. That's, this is really interesting, actually, because this is, a, this is a passage about King David being betrayed by a member of his family. When David wrote it, he would have written it about himself. But this is regular in the New Testament. The New Testament writers, Jesus, take these portions of Scripture, which may not apparently have been about him at the time, and apply them to him. And why can they do that? Because actually the whole story of the Bible is about Jesus. And actually David is just like a, a hint of the true king of Israel. And David's betrayal, which is ironically a result of his own family failings, is a reminder of Jesus and his betrayal, which is not a product of his failings. And so we want to read the scriptures to know Christ. And you see, that's where the two things that both Elizabeth Elliot and, and what's coming here connect together. You see, as you read the Bible like that, you see how your suffering or your hardship or your difficulty or the challenge of aligning with Christ can actually help you to know Christ more and God more. How, that's how, actually, it will deepen your faith. It won't make your suffering easier, necessarily, but it will, will allow you to know God more. So Jesus says, he models something for us. How do we keep going? We have to entrench the word. In fact, what I love about our children, it's so great, there's like 30 kids in here today. I loved seeing young people here. What is unique about our kids' ministry at St. Stephen's is that we, well, it's not unique, but it's, it's the thing that we think is we want to be the hallmark of our kids' ministries. We want to instill a devotion to God's word in young people. We want them to love God's word more than they love their leaders, more than they love the program. We want them to love God's word because that is how they keep going. That's how they keep going. So he says, here's a model, but he also gives a command. In 34 and 35, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give you, 
Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He, he says, in other words, it is, it is the church of God. He's talking about the disciples. He's talking about the little believing community that exists and will grow into the church. He says the church is crucial to keep going. The people of God are crucial. And the love of one another is crucial to keep going. The church is the lifeboat, in a sense. I think sometimes, when I think about friends of mine who have drifted away, when I think of teenagers who I've led in youth ministry and no longer follow the Lord anymore, I think one of the keys is that they have thought at some point in time that their life can be done by themselves. Their Christian life... But Jesus says here, how is he he getting them, how is he preparing them for life after he goes? He says, love one another. Now, at Willoughby, we're good at being nice to one another. When I go to Willoughby Public School, there's a lot of nice people. Nice is not wrong, but nice is not love. If you're a nice person, I'm not having to go at you, by the way. I'm glad you're a nice person. But I do want us to just push a little bit further and say, we're not just after being nice. Because nice might actually just be your way of being liked. <laughs> it might not have anything to do with the person you're being nice to. It might be your way of just making life a little bit easier in that space. Nice is okay, but love is what God wants. C.S. Lewis says this, says, love is not an affectionate feeling but a steady, it's an important word, a consistent, it keeps going, it's not for a moment, it's not for this afternoon, it's not for the next 40 minutes at morning tea. A steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good, for their good, not yours, as far as it can be attained. Jesus says, love one another. He's always talked about loving your neighbour, God has always talked about, but Jesus just ramps up as I have loved you. And John will say in his letter later, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's love. That's more than nice. That's more than amiable. And, God, and Jesus is saying, this is what you need to do. You want to keep going, you need to, you need to have the word of God just so, you need to be immersed in it. And you need to be immersed in God's people. That's how you keep going. Now, there's a challenge here, though. Having heard that, the the example and the command, there's a challenge here that we can so easily make a mistake. So easily make a mistake. We can make the mistake of dear Peter. That's the other guy in this story. Peter's going to kind of recede in the storyline now after this, uh, this morning's passage. But boy, he makes a shocking mistake. Peter having heard all this, still focused on the fact that Jesus is going away, wants to be with Jesus. Says, I want to go with you, Jesus. And so Peter says this. He says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Pause the story there. If you don't know the ending, you're in a good position. Pause the story. We're thinking, yes, Peter, finally, someone who gets who Jesus is, all of, what he's all about. I will lay down my life for you. Peter, Peter, Peter. What's Peter's mistake? Peter thinks he can do it himself. 
Peter thinks he can do it himself. You know that? I'll lay down my life for you. Do you remember that? We talked about it last week. It's from John 10.10. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who will, what, ask you to lay down your life for me? No. I'll lay down my life for you. Peter thinks he's the good shepherd. He won't use those words, but that's effectively what he's saying. He says, I can do it. You can see how, how you, we can easily, we're walking a very tight, very narrow line here, a tightrope here, aren't we? Here is a command and an example, and yet here is Peter who hears it and flips over to the other side and he says, yes, I can do it all. I'm ready, Lord. You know, actually, one of the great challenges to keep going, to perseverance, is pride. That's the great challenge, actually. What will, what will really ultimately stop us from going to the end with Jesus is pride. It'll sneak in and we'll think, I can do something. I can do a little bit here to help out. Paul always says the gospel is righteousness by faith. Only faith. In fact, he says anyone who adds anything is not preaching gospel at all, actually. It's not righteousness, but a little bit of self-sacrifice. It's not what Jesus did, plus a little bit of your devotion. It's just what Jesus did. He's the good shepherd, and Peter's forgotten that. And so Peter warns us, beware of pride. Beware of pride. Beware of thinking that when you get to that last day, you will have enough stored up that you can just make up a little bit. I must lay down my life, says Jesus. Not you, Peter. But Peter is also our encouragement. Because maybe you're, maybe you're sitting here thinking, this is terrible. I have been Judas. Or I have been Peter. Or someone I love has been Judas. Or has been Peter. And <laughs> this is a depressing morning for you. Peter is your hope. Peter's story is your hope. See, Peter and Judas are very similar. They're really, they have exercised the mind of commentators and theologians for hundreds of years. They're very similar. Judas, after he betrays Jesus, is overwhelmed with remorse and regret. Overwhelmed with it. He, he weeps, we're told in Matthew. And then he goes to the temple priest and returns the silver coins, the 30 silver coins. And then tragically takes his life. You think Judas is not aware of his mistake? Of course he is. Peter. We're told when the, crow, when the cock crows twice and he realizes that he has done exactly what Jesus says and betrayed him three times, what is he? He weeps, we're told. And he is filled with remorse. But Peter meets Jesus on the shore of the Lake of Galilee and is restored by Jesus. And therein, you see, is the good news of the gospel. You can, you can, you can be Peter and be restored. All you need to do is meet Jesus. In fact, that's what Jesus is all about, about restoring you. Um, Pippi used this verse in... Uh, in the spotlight, she said, whoever comes to me, this is, well, she didn't say, Jesus said it, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Maybe these words were ringing in Jesus, John's ears, in Peter's ears. 
Maybe they were just the last thing that was just there. What stopped him from following the tragic fate of Judas? See, Judas is so overcome with his failure that it destroys him. Peter is overcome by his failure, but thankfully he realizes that Christ was destroyed for him. That's the difference. And so he, Jesus, Jesus is there and he comes to Jesus on the shore and Jesus does not cast him out. Because Jesus is all about this. I got a message from my dentist this week. Your six-monthly cleanup checkup is due. Please come in. And dentists. No one likes dentists. I feel sorry. If you're a dentist, thank you for your work, by the way. Don't talk to me, though, when you're cleaning my teeth. Okay? I can't talk to you. Don't talk to me. Anyway, if you go, to, I always have this fear. For many years, I didn't see a dentist. The first time I went to see the dentist, I was racked with anxiety because I thought, this guy is going to look at my teeth and say, I'm sorry, I, there's nothing I can do for you. Get out. He cleaned my teeth. He talked to me about stuff which I kind of remember. And he said, I'll see you in six months. The dentist wants me to come to see him regardless of how good or bad my teeth are. His whole job, in fact, if my teeth are bad, is to fix them. I don't need to come with a perfectly manicured set of chompers for my dentist to want to see me. You don't have to come perfect to be seen by Christ. Now, if you are Judas, if you are Peter, if you're on the path of Judas, understand you could be on the path of Peter, so come back to Christ. And if you have someone for whom this, this whole sermon has just been so close to the bone about, my friends, there is still hope for them. They can come back to Christ. Because Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. How good is the Lord Jesus? You think, he, you think he's, he'll be belittled by you coming back or your, your loved one coming back to him? Absolutely not. He went to the cross for you. There is nothing more humiliating, more terrible than his suffering for you. Of course he'll welcome you back. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, says Jesus. Praise God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, how good you are to us. We are all in some way like Peter, at least, if not like Judas. Lord, have mercy on us. And enable us to come back to you, knowing the fullness and generosity of your grace. Amen.